Would you all please look at each other? Because you are the main event. Absol- because if there's going to be faith mission happens, it's not going to be just me or Gigi or Brad or Sky or whoever. It's not even going to be Brian. Brian, I was so excited. Don't stop now. Keep walking down the stairs. Yep. Um, I, was, I was so excited that Brian introduced that because the little bit that we know about Brian is we know he is a person of mission. Uh, he lives and breathes this is as a day job um, and as a day ministry, he and Grace, and it's so excited. Um, yeah, so at, at short notice, uh, if this is a little bit different, there's no PowerPoint. Uh, there's one PowerPoint, thanks very much. Um, you've been sitting down for 10 minutes, so I think it's time for you to stand up. You know what, hearing, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, so actually it's a good thing to speak it out sometimes, uh, not just to read it or have someone say it to you. So I'm going to ask you to read this with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just to set the context. Jesus is just minutes before he rises up into heaven. He is recorded by Luke at the beginning of of Acts as saying these words. Would you read them out with me, please, in this version? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, well done. Thank you very much. You can sit down now. It's actually, you you remember and learn more by by um, actually saying things yourselves and by teaching others than you do just by reading and hearing. It's a strange little bit of educational psychology for you there to start the day. All right. You know what? Mission and the Holy Spirit are inextricably linked. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. All right. So this, it's not one or the other. Witness is a consequence of the work of the Holy Spirit. Being a witness. Now, if you don't know much about geography, Jerusalem was where it was all happening at that time. Samaria was the adjacent place. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, where there was some tension. Uh, the uttermost parts, of the ends of the earth are still the ends of the earth. And Judea was kind of the, the state. All right. Jerusalem, the city. Think Perth. Judea. Think Western Australia. Uh, Samaria. What's, where don't we like? Tasma, no, Tasmate. <laughs> Some, somewhere we don't like. Uh, <laughs> and then the ends of the earth. All right, that's Tasmania. No, no, just joking. <laughs> the idea that mission is at home and it's at the adjacent neighborhood and it's at some further place is really, really important for us to understand those things. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm just going to unpack a little bit of uh, some passages from the Bible. We don't have them on screen, so I'm actually going to tell you an account from Acts 8, but I'm going to read it backwards, so it's a little bit different for you. Uh, Open up the Word a little bit, and then Gigi's going to come, and she's going to uh, illustrate that perhaps with some of our personal stories and uh, and just to give some, some flavor and whatever. Is that okay, darling? I can't actually see you there. Great. Fantastic. All right, so but before we do that, I need to ask you a question, and this is the question. Are you ready to be a person of mission? Okay, are you personally ready to be a person of mission? And in answering that question, some people straight away will jump in and say yes, other people will jump in, but a whole bunch of little thoughts come up, uh, a little bit like what Dave was talking about, surrender, as to what might disqualify us from being a person of mission. So I want to address some of those things uh, today. All right with that? So I wonder if we can just have one of those lights. Is that possible to have those down a bit? I just, I can't see people. So I'm, I'm getting nervous that there's nobody there. Just keep, keep yelling out or heckling. All right. Thanks, guys. That's great. Um, 
One person who was a person of mission he was an, a disciple named Philip. And Philip, he, uh, he was sent on a mission to meet an individual. One person was sent on a mission to meet one person. That's not a, you know, thousands, you could have met thousands. No, he met one person. And the person that he met was an Ethiopian official. And you can read about this at the end of Acts chapter 8. And in this encounter, the Ethiopian official, who presumably was Jewish, even though he was coming from a secular state, had been given time off by his boss, who happened to be the queen, to go to Jerusalem to worship. And while he was leaving Jerusalem, having worshipped there, he's sitting in his chariot reading the scriptures and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah and he's reading these words, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Ethiopian didn't understand who he was reading about and that perplexed him. And all of a sudden, Philip appears and says, do you know what you're reading about? And he says, I need someone to explain it to me. And so Philip explained and told him about Jesus and had told him that Jesus was the person he was reading about. And the Ethiopian official believed, found some water nearby on the road, got baptized and went on his way rejoicing, believing in Jesus. What a great encounter. Now, Ethiopia it was an amazing place because that actually became the beginning of the Christian movement throughout all of Ethiopia. Started from one person, just being obedient. How on earth did Philip get there in the first place? Well, he walked. That's not particularly amazing. But the fact that he walked for probably three days, but what he left, you know how I said it's, it's fantastic if you're talking to thousands, not just one person, and being missional. The fact that he, he left, the place he left was a place called... That'll be a message. He left a place called Samaria. And Samaria at that time was having an amazing revival. A revival was taking place. People were getting baptized. People were getting, miracles were happening. It was absolutely incredible. It was so, so exciting that they had to send for reinforcements from Jerusalem. And Peter and John came down and helped them. And they found out that these people believed in Jesus and they'd been baptized and that miracles were happening, but they hadn't actually received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John laid hands on them and all of a sudden they received the Holy Spirit. It was a powerful time, incredibly powerful time. And in the middle of that amazing, miraculous time, God speaks to Philip and says, I want you to leave. Now, I've been a leader of a church, and the times that I want God to speak to me and say, I want you to leave is when it's really, really hard, when nobody, nobody rocks up on a Sunday, and, and you're the only person you've got to sing and dance and play the guitar and lead the worship and collect the offering all in one day, and, and you're only collecting it from your wife, <laughs> who's also singing and dancing and collecting. But when it's all happening, it's amazing that God's touching people and lives are being changed and transformed and people are coming to church and it's really good. I don't want to be anywhere else. But Philip surrendered to what God asked him to do regardless of the circumstances. One of the things that sometimes stops us from being missional is that things are really comfortable and good where we are. That didn't stop Philip. His single obedience to the word of God at that particular time transformed the nation of Ethiopia. So if I ask you the question, are you ready for mission? And you think, well, actually, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Rod. I'll just stay right where. 
It might just be the time that God says, come on, it's time to shake yourself out of that comfort zone and go into somewhere that's a little bit different, a little bit new. It might be out of the way. You know, God does his best work in out-of-the-way places. Not where it's all nice and comfortable. Well, you might be asking, why Samaria? Why Samaria there? Why Samaria in that particular story? You know what? Samaria was a tough place in terms of the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. They competed with each other. They occasionally fought with each other. So it's amazing that that would be the place that this revival would take, would take place. You might think, what was Philip doing there in the first place? Well, the reason Philip was there was because something that had happened just a few weeks earlier was that Stephen, the disciple, was martyred. The very first Christian believer was martyred. And that was a shocking time. Imagine a church about this size and all of a sudden, James, a young man full of the Holy Spirit, is pulled out and is martyred. And, and then they start rescuing, no, they start capturing Laszlo and Chris and a few others from church. Grace has gone as well. They've been taken off to prison. And this is literally what was happening. You didn't want to be in church that next Sunday morning because the guards would be there ready to rescue you as well. And so what happens, many in the church other than the apostles fled to nearby places. And one of the places that they fled to was Samaria. Hang on, Rod. You just told us that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't talk to each other. So why would some of them go to Samaria? Before I get onto that, let me tell you something. Sometimes when I ask you the question, what was the question? Are you ready to be a person of mission? One of the reasons is, I don't think I can be a person of mission right now because things are just chaotic in my life. It's like something just happened. Like somebody just got stoned. People are being, being taken into prison and, and led away. So this is just not the right time, Jesus, for... Sometimes in the middle of those circumstances as well, we need to be people of surrender. Okay? What I'm saying is don't wait for everything to be, you know, led in a trail of light. Sometimes you just got to hear the call and just go. Sometimes it might be amazing. Sometimes it might be tough. Well, how was it that these people fled? Why would you fled from a place in Jerusalem and go to Samaria? I mean, Samaria? Why? Well, because of something that happened two years before that. When Jesus played a little trick on his disciples... I shouldn't say that Jesus played tricks. That doesn't sound very nice in church. But he said, we're going to go to Galilee. And they all said, yeah, that's good. We know the way to Galilee. You go down the rocky road by the river. And he said, no, we're going to take the shortcut. We're going to go through Samaria. And they said, uh, uh, you know that there's Samaritans in Samaria? Jesus said, yeah, well, we're going this way. But Jesus was tired. And so he stops at a well to have a rest and maybe get a glass of water. Probably didn't have glasses of water. Something of water. And his disciples going to town. You know the story? Yeah. And the disciples going to town to get some food, and Jesus meets a woman. All the people that Jesus could have met, he met a woman, an outcast woman. And they have a conversation. You can read about the conversation yourself. But in that conversation, with somebody who was the son of God, with somebody who was an outcast in so many ways, but she was inquiring, Jesus revealed who he was to her. 
she goes running into town and she becomes the first missionary in Samaria. This, this outcast, you, you do not, it doesn't have to be Tim Phipps with all his, his, his talents. It can be you, with no disrespect. It can be, it, it can be you. If you just take the, what you've got and run downhill and tell somebody, you can be a missionary in your hometown. And she became the first missionary in Samaria. She gathered around a whole family. She gathered around a whole friends. And they came out to meet Jesus. And what was going to be a shortcut through Samaria just to stop at the well and get a drink and quickly get some refreshments and take a few kilometers out of our journey because we're tired becomes a three-day stayover where they meet the whole town and everybody becomes aware of who Jesus is. So all of a sudden, in two years later, when these disciples are looking somewhere safe to flee to, they go to where? They go to Samaria because Jesus taught his disciples. He started at Jerusalem and he discipled his disciples to follow him wherever he went, even into places that were the rough neighborhood, even in the places that were tough and difficult. That's where he led them to. I think I'm up to page seven. I've got no idea where I am. Jesus was looking ahead. He could see when he started training his disciples, he could see that one day he would go to Samaria, that one day he would meet a woman, that one day that woman would share, that one day that woman would create an environment, that those people would then receive power themselves and that they would become witnesses, that one day that a revival would take out and an individual would hear what God said and head themselves down on a dusty road down south of Jerusalem and they would speak to one person who then would become an evangelist into their nation and they would bring about transformation within Ethiopia and all of that because somebody said, I will. Somebody said, I will go. In the space that they were with the resources that they had, they were just people of surrender. That's all. Are you ready for mission, Jeez? Yeah, I bet you are. Maybe today is the day when you stop and say, God, use me as part of the mission strategy of this church. Use me as part of your mission strategy for your kingdom. It all starts with a prayer that just says, use me. Help me to surrender. Sheesh? Yes. Amen. Do the altar call now? <laughs> no, let me add to that. What I love about faith promise are those two words. Uh, we've got faith and we've got promise. But one of the things that you're going to be hearing over the next uh, little while is to which unreached group are we called? And the question is not, are we called to an unreached group? That's already been answered. We are. Jesus said, go, make disciples. So the question now is, which unreached group of people are we called to? So... Faith promise. So what's a promise? The dictionary tells us that it's a declaration that something will or will not be given or done or an express assurance on which expectation is to be based. So there's this expectation that something's going to happen, be given, whatever. And what's faith? Well, it's the confidence or trust in a person or a thing, a belief that is based not on proof. So what we've got there is a declaration that something's going to happen that's not based on proof and a confidence or trust in a thing. Now, that thing is actually God. So we're trusting God as we make a declaration of a promise. 
So I want you to hold on to that over the next couple of months because when we're talking about faith promise, we're not just talking about dollars and cents. We're actually talking on a larger picture than that. And I was reflecting um, when uh, Rodney was talking about Um, I can't remember what you were saying because I was reflecting. But anyway, there's nothing new there. But when Brian was talking about about, um, the youth and the amazing stuff that's going on in youth, on Tuesday, it'll be 46 years since... I gave my heart to Jesus. Yes, I was five. five. No, not really. I wasn't really. I was at high school and I randomly had been invited to a youth weekend and it was a Church of Christ outreach. And unbeknownst to me, I had no idea what was going on. I was going to go and have a lot of fun, which I did do, but it culminating on me giving my heart to Jesus. You don't know what's going to happen. The people at that church did not know me from a bar of soap. I'd never set foot in that church. And yet they took it upon themselves to host this weekend. And some random from a farm out back came along and gave a heart to Jesus. Now, some of you know I, was, I grew up in poverty, domestic abuse and alcoholism. And Jesus reached in, picked me up out of that and put me down somewhere else where I found family, where I found love, acceptance and forgiveness. And that's just me. I'm a nobody. But who is he going to pick out of obscurity and plant and see them flourish and touch more and more lives to turn to Christ. We just don't know. You know, it might not be your cup of tea. might not be where you would want us to focus. But when God is doing something, we need to realign ourselves with what's happening. You know, I'm sure as as the, the stuff was going on in Samaria, some of the folks would have been thinking, oh, that doesn't seem right. And I was reading about Paul last night and how, uh, no, sorry, it was this morning in my devotion, and it was how all of his life God had been preparing him for his mission work and he had no idea. He hated Christians. He was part of the, the opposition and yet he was a, an academic and he was a proud man, absolutely. But God used all of those experiences, even that fierceness of persecuting the Christians and he turned it around and he became one of the most tenacious people and, and we owe a lot of our biblical understanding because Paul wrote it down because he had that understanding through being a, a, an academic and he applied that through theology to give us what we've got now. But I digress. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about our journey. Someone said this morning as we were praying before the service, oh, you've only had, a, you know, like not even 24 hours to get this message ready. And, and that's right. But you know what? This message has been burning in our lives for over 20 years. We've been living this for over 20 years because God radically changed our focus and our attention and our outlook on what mission is. See, when I came into a particular church, and it was our, we loved our church, the focus then was on a little place in Indonesia called Balagay. And there had been um, some guys who'd gone up to Balagay. Someone had a relationship with some Christians up there and they physically built the church brick by brick, right? So there were all these builders going up and it was about six or seven blokes who would go up once a year and they would do 
building the church. And the church's missions, that was their focus at the time. And around about that time, the amount of money going into missions was about $6,000. And, you know, it was, that was fine. That was our mission focus. That pastor, well, unfortunately, he died in office. And the incoming pastor, um, a couple of years later, she was really gripped by the faith promise that was happening in a lot of our churches. And our movement took it on at a national level to really put forward that vision of faith promise. Now, she had connections with different places. Her uh, spaces were in India, and we had a very good relationship with a young missionary, 23 years old, this young woman was, when she went to Mozambique and absolutely impacted um, the town of Beda um, for God as she did missionary work over there. It was just absolutely phenomenal what she was doing at 23 years of age. And because of the relationship, because we had faithful and faith-filled people on the ground, we could confidently put money into that space. And so we turned our focus to Mozambique and we were doing some work in India as well. When we started putting the faith promises forward... It went from $6,000 for an annual giving over a period of about six or seven years to over $100,000. And you might think, oh, wow, the church must have grown. Well, not in numbers it didn't. <laughs> but that was over and above the tithes. The tithes did not drop. The tithes stayed at their normal level, but all of this other money kept coming in. What was a, an acceptable figure in those days of, you know, when people make the promise and then the money actually comes in? Most churches would get between 75 and 95% of those pledges in. And so that when they were working out their budgets, they go, yep, well, we've got this much, but probably only going to get about three quarters in. What was phenomenal that we just could not, we just couldn't fathom it was that when we started, we were getting about 95% of those pledges in. But over time, it went to about 117%. <laughs> How does that happen? Because people capture that vision and they give even above and beyond what their faith promise was. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. And it wasn't anything about us. It was Holy Spirit gripping people and their hearts burning for others. And that's what our big catch cry was. It's not about me. It's about others. It's others. Let's go. So that was quite um, extraordinary for us. A couple of the other things that we, we did, and, and we ended up leading that church um, in time, a couple of the other things, we realigned our focuses. Whilst we continued to support Balagay to about the same amount as we had, we were able to allocate other funds to other areas. So I talked about India, I talked about Mozambique. I remember one time we took a team of 10 people across to Mozambique and it would have cost around about, I know this is, and, and people had to put their own money in, so it, this didn't come out of the, the promises, but it was about $43,000 to send across to Mozambique, to, to, to get to Mozambique. And we were there for a couple of weeks and we were doing work and everything. But let me tell you this, it's not about the work that you do when you're there. Yes, that's going to bless people and it really will, but it's about what happens in you. As the individual, what God does in you as he grips your heart and, and really takes you on that journey to open up and be vulnerable and to be a purpose person of mission. And we were talking with this young woman who had 
wasn't 23 then. We'd have been a few years later. And we said, you know, it's a lot of money that it costs to get here. Wouldn't it just be better for us just to send you the money? And she said, well, you know, you could look at it that way. She said, but two things. One, you probably wouldn't send the money. If you had 43000 you'd probably look at doing other things with it. And two, the people on the ground here feel so encouraged that you came. You came. You took the time out of your busy lives. Some of you took leave without pay and you came. You care that much that you came. So it wasn't just about money. It wasn't just about, oh, we're doing missionary work. It was about, A, impacting there. B, it cost us that extra bit to get there. And C, it gripped our hearts and changed us. When you're living in the life, I mean, we lived in this, you know, I won't call it a luxury, but it was Western and we had, you know, reasonable facilities. Um, But then to go out and work in the orphanages and to work with the people who didn't have homes and to see the poverty and so on, when you you do that, uh, it would be somebody without a pulse who wouldn't have their heart changed. (laughs) Seriously, it grips you and it changes you. And it refocuses. And when you come back, you actually do start feeling a little bit guilty. And that's not a good thing. God's put us in different places with different different situations. But he wants us to commit to mission. Not so that, oh, look at what we're doing, but because it's going to change our hearts and it's going to impact other people's lives. One of the things that we made sure of when we were... Um, I haven't really touched on how we adjusted our our focuses I sort of threw out Balagay and I was going to say now just hold that thought because the people as we were realigning our focuses you don't want to you can't cut people off and say sorry (laughs) no more money so because some of they're relying on that and so when you are realigning focus what we did we said um, we, we'd have about 18 months because we were working on a budget and then depending on what came in, how much of that we could reallocate and we would commit for the following year. So we basically had about 18 months to be able to say, you know what, we'll fund you for this period of time, but after that, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. And, you know, the, the folk on the ground are fine, but the thing is, God actually already sends other people in. So I don't think it's necessarily about... This is our focus and this is where we have to go and anything different to that, you know, it's just not, it's not what God said. I think it's not so much about where we go. It's about who we are and who we will be. So we did have this relationship in Mozambique. We spent time, we put resources and so on. But when that person left and went on to other things, you know, what, what do we do now? Do we just say okay, we're done, we're pulling out. No, we had a commitment and we let those folk know that actually this is a period of time because they're relying on that money. They're relying on that for funding it. But, you know, as you withdraw, God actually puts other people in place. I want to come back to Balagay because it was this church. Now, we realised that spending $43,000 to take 10 people to Mozambique might impact us and it'll do something there. But could we use those finances more effectively? <clears throat> and the bottom line was we were sensing that God was actually wanting us to look closer to home. And so we looked at 
local, national and international. And that local actually put us in touch with Muckenburden, where we met Brad. And so we did some stuff with Mucka, and it was just God's timing. Years later, here we are. Brad's here. So it's like, let's go check out Brad, see how he's going and encourage him. And here we are. God moves his people around. We might not be totally aware of exactly what his purpose is in all of that. And that's okay because we go where he sends. So we, read, we did that. Now, when we were looking at our international missions, Mozambique, it was just not going to be working because we'd lost that contact. But Rodney had gone up with some other blokes from some other churches to a place in Indonesia to go to a Bible college and do some work in theology and Bible college stuff. And the guy who was in charge of that Bible college, for a number of reasons, felt God was calling him out. And he withdrew from being, I think he was in charge of that Bible college, or very high up, and he withdrew from that and sat and prayed for about six months because he felt that God was calling him to the rubbish tip, as you do. So the rubbish tip in Jakarta, I I don't know how big it is. It's massive. It's hectares upon hectares. And 24 hours every day of the year, these massive trucks rock up. They're lined up bumper to bumper and they dump rubbish. The whole city's rubbish. And as the rubbish gets dumped, there are 7,000 people who live in the tip. And when the rubbish comes out, they all ferry around and they start grabbing stuff out of the rubbish. And what's particularly valuable is plastic bags. And they take them off and they wash them in the water and then they on-sell them. And that's their way of living. That's their, their income. And so he felt God was calling him to minister to the 7,000 people living in the rubbish tip. No financial backing, no nothing. So I remember visiting the actual place where Rodney and this man stood together and prayed over the rubbish tip and asked God to show him what to do. And it was a significant place. Well, there was nothing there. It was just a rock on a hill. But it was a significant moment because in time, that man actually set up some community centres in the rubbish tip. And then other Christians came in and he started schools. And they've got five schools in this rubbish tip. They've closed down the mosques so the Christians can run schools in the buildings. I mean, how weird is that? And it's not weird at all, let's face it. So that was really great. And, um, and we were sowing into that from our church. When we moved on from that church, of course, over time, the mission focus changed and that person was no longer part of their, their focus, their mission um, funding. But there were still other people from other churches who had grown relationship through this network of blokes who went the very first time. See how God positions people? And they started sowing into the ministry. Well, lo and behold, when uh, we were fellowshipping at a church quite recently before we came here, we put our hands up and said, yeah, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll have a young adults group at our home. But they had to check us out first, which is absolutely critical. Um, And... In our interview, the pastor said, oh, do you know this particular person? He goes, yeah, yeah, he's a friend. Why? And he said, well, we're looking at establishing a mission link over in Indonesia. Can you give us an introduction? So 
yeah, sure, we can hook you up with that. We went as part of the team. And in September this year, we're going, we don't even go to that church anymore. But we're going back as part of that team, back into the rubbish tip to continue working with the teachers. I tell you that not because, hey, let's all go to the rubbish tip. That's not what I want. What I'm saying is that God places his people at different points at different times and he orchestrates divine appointments to put people in relationships so he can build on that. Now, my heart stayed in Africa. When I was there in 1997 doing some stuff, when the plane took off, I physically felt my heart almost drop out my boots. And all I could think of was, I have to come back. I've left my heart in Africa. So when we were working in Mozambique, I was so happy. I was home. I was comfortable. I was loving working in Africa. It was just wonderful. But then when my husband said, I think we need to start looking at Southeast Asia, I'm thinking, I don't think so. I'm in Africa. But you know what? I was faced with a moment there, probably several moments, but one particular one, and it was, you can either stay and look longingly back and, you know, really wish you could still do that and not put your heart into it. Or you can decide, actually, I want to go where God is doing the stuff. I can serve God anywhere. If I learned a bit of Portuguese, I can learn a bit of Bahasa. And so I redirected it because God will use an open heart anywhere. And so that's what I'm throwing out there. It's a little bit messy. I'm sorry. It seems a bit disorganised to me and I'm hoping you can follow what I'm trying to say. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, my point is that God shifts his focus from time to time. And the choice is ours whether we want to be part of something new or look back. God wants your heart. It's not about your money. Because the word tells us where your treasure is. There your heart will also be. We can miss the moment. We can miss the movement. So in summary, and if the worship team could come back up, please. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And he wants you. Instead of how about me sending my money, it's like, how about me going? How about me stepping out of my comfort zone? out of my security, out of my safety? How about me being bold and brave and go? Because those people will be so glad you took the time. It means so much that people care enough to cross an ocean to go and be. You don't have to do much just to go and be. A faith promise is a stretch, but done in faith and understanding that people are actually relying on what I'm pledging to. God will put people in connection with each other so that we have faithful and faith-filled people on the ground who can wisely use the funds our folks are generously giving. We need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit regarding where God is leading us and what's God's spotlight for that moment, for such a time as this. And how about I get involved? How about I volunteer my time as well as my money? So, folks, be prepared for God to grip your heart and take you out of your comfort zone. You know, we sing, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of my religion. Your way is better. We sing that and we love it and we get into it, don't we? Do we mean it? <laughs> 
Or how about, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. Is that what we really want?